You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. We have, since the summertime, been looking at covenant theology and seeing the covenants throughout Scripture. And then we, in examining the New Covenant, wanted the New Covenant to lead us to a proper understanding of uh, spiritual gifts and how we're to view spiritual gifts in Scripture, how we're to see those gifts in relationship to this church, Sovereign Hope and how we should be effectively using those gifts for the advancement of God's kingdom. We said last week that Acts chapter 9, verse 31 is really where we want to be as a church family. It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied So when the church was being built up, it was multiplying. And we said that the purpose of the spiritual gifts is to edify one another, to build each other up. And when that's happening, when everyone is doing their job, doing their responsibility, using their giftedness within the church to edify each other, that the church is being built up. And then eventually, as as Acts 9 says, it will multiply. It will multiply. And so our church will grow as effectively as we are being uh, faithful to build one another up with the giftedness that God has given us. And so we wrapped up our discussion last week in 1 Corinthians 14, looking at uh, specifically the issue of tongues that was going on in that church. We said that we wanted to pull out the the stuff that was clear, leaving room for questions and, and things that maybe we don't fully understand But we wanted to glean as much as we could from those things that are absolutely clear to us. We know that this church was making a bigger deal out of tongues than there should have been. We know that that Paul ultimately says that speaking in a language that everybody understands is ultimately better than, than speaking in a language that nobody understands. So he points them to the aspect of communicating in such a way that people can be built up. Uh, we said that he really seems to discourage the, the mindset that some people have adopted in churches today, that there's to be this private uh, worship atmosphere where a, where a different language is being used. Paul seems to direct that back to a corporate setting, that, that the gifts are given for uh, the edification of the church family, not for personal edification. We looked at that term um, in verse... Verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. We said, well, well, some people would look at it and say, well, hey, it's okay to build yourself up in that sense. So it's okay to speak in tongues privately for yourself, and that builds you up, and that's a good thing. We looked at a passage previously in 1 Corinthians where this term is used in a negative way, that it's not a good thing to be built up in this way. And so uh, we said that it really seems that Paul is diverting it back to the corporate setting. And then he does give instructions for... Uh, how tongues are to be used uh, within the local church. Uh, he says in verse 26, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirit of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. We said that um, he gives a, a structured order, which is contrary to a lot of the tongues movement that we see in churches today, honestly. A lot of times in churches we see an uncontrolled type of atmosphere. We see a lot of confusion taking place. We see a very serious lack of interpretation in churches that are practicing this type of thing. Um, what, what Paul seems to indicate here is that it's a very controlled type of gifting, So much so that you're to evaluate if it's even worth doing on a given Sunday. Are there people here that could even understand what I'm about to say? And if not, I'm to keep quiet. I'm to keep quiet. So it's not some type of thing where the Holy Spirit overcomes somebody 
And it's almost like a, an out-of-body experience where all of a sudden the Holy Spirit takes over and begins to speak through somebody against their will or against their control. Paul says, you're completely in control of this gift. Look around. If there's nobody there that can interpret, don't talk. He also says it's for unbelievers. So we said last week, really, we should look around and say, are there any unbelievers here? No, then, then I should be quiet because this is something for unbelievers. And it's also a situation where if somebody says, hey, I want to speak in tongues today, well, three people have already gone, so you get to be quiet today too. So it's a very controlled thing, which again is very different from what uh, the Pentecostal type churches would want, to, would want to demonstrate in their churches. It's more of an, an out of control experience. Paul seems to say this should be under, under uh, extreme control and it should be practiced with the utmost care. For a purpose, Paul says, and he gives us that purpose um, back in verse 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking, be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of a strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. Paul goes on previously to, to demonstrate where, where he seems to be turning us away from this private type thing that was happening in Corinth. Therefore, in verse 13, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? So again, he, he really seems to limit this away from praying and singing in tongues. And that's primarily where it's used in a lot of these churches. There's a, there's a prayerful attitude where, where someone begins to pray in tongues. Paul says, I'm going to pray with my mind and my spirit. I'm not going to pray just in my spirit. I'm going to pray with my mind and my spirit. I'm going to be in control of the words that are coming out and know what I'm praying. He goes on to say, I'm going to sing, and I'm going to sing in such a way where I'm controlled. I'm controlled with what I'm doing. Now, he allows for speaking in tongues, but it doesn't seem to be in the case of praying or in singing. He says, if someone's to speak in tongues, we're to have someone interpret. He doesn't say in verse 16, Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? He doesn't say the answer to that is to interpret. We need an interpretation of your prayer. or We need an interpretation of your song. That's not what he indicates. He says, I'm going to pray with my spirit. I'm going to pray with my mind. I'm going to sing with my spirit. I'm going to sing with my mind so that others in the church know what's going on when I'm doing these things. So we said that our stance as a church, my stance as your leader, is going to be one where we say, this seems to have stopped. We're told in 1 Corinthians that tongues will cease, tongues will stop. The battery, the Greek indication, the battery, the life of the battery will run out. It'll stop. Prophecy will continue until the perfect comes. But tongues will cease. So I, I believe that in, in looking at Scripture... That, that the indication is that this has ceased, that this has stopped. But recognizing that Paul goes on to say, don't forbid the speaking in tongues, we don't want to be guilty of thinking that they've ceased when they haven't ceased. And so I encouraged you last week, if, if tongues were to ever become a part of Sovereign Hope, first it would necessitate somebody coming to me and saying, I think I have this gift. It'll never be okay. It'll never be okay for somebody to just randomly start speaking in tongues in our service. Why? Anybody think of a reason why that would always be inappropriate? If we're trying to be faithful to Scripture, it will always be inappropriate for somebody to just randomly start being the first person to speak in tongues in our church. Why is that the case? Because we don't know if there's an interpreter here, right? So nobody has a biblical right to start speaking in tongues until we figure out if somebody has uh, the gift of interpretation. Now, right now, I can't figure out if anybody has the gift of interpretation because I'm not aware that anybody has the gift of tongues. So how am I going to know if that person can interpret? So if this were to ever become a part of Sovereign Hope, 
And I don't believe that it will. But if it were to ever become a part, we're not going to forbid it. We're willing to be wrong on this potentially. It would involve somebody coming forward and saying, hey, I think I have this gift. And we would sit down and talk with that person. Why do you think you have this gift? What does that look like? What do you think this, how how is this faithful with what you see in Scripture? And then we would have to move forward with trying to see if there was anybody that could interpret in our church. And until we found an interpreter, that person would not be allowed to exercise that gift. Be faithful to what Paul says. And then if we found an interpreter, then we would have to sit down and say, is there a need for this? Is there a purpose for this? Is it consistent with what Scripture says the need is? To prove the gospel, to demonstrate the, 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 the gospel by doing kind of a prerequisite thing, what Paul says, and what we see in the book of Acts. Remember, when this first happens, the apostles begin to speak in tongues about the mighty works of God to Jewish unbelievers. And we said that if that's all that happened that day, nobody would have been saved. 3,000 people do not get added to the church until Paul brings clarification about what's happening. And shares the gospel. So it wasn't the tongues that led them to Christ. The tongues was a prerequisite that opened them up to, hey, let's hear what these people have to say. Because they're consistent with what we already know about God, the mighty works of God, the Old Testament truths. Peter says, hey, now that I have an audience, here's what you need to know. Because the people responded to the gospel, they repented, and to that day, 3,000 were added to the church. And so we would have to determine, is there a need for this? And I told you, we don't have any examples of interpretations in Scripture. We don't have any examples of this person spoke in tongues, and here was the interpretation. The only example we have is what we find in Acts chapter 2. And we're told that what they were talking about were the mighty works of God from the past. So it, it kind of debunks the idea that we have of, hey, tongues is for New revelation is from a message from God for today. We don't have anything to, 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 to see from Scripture that would convince us of that. The only example of interpretation from Scripture is that they were talking about previous mighty works of God done in the past. So we find somebody that speaks in tongues in our church. We find an interpreter. And then we also have to determine, does this fit with the purposes that we see in Scripture? I think that's the things that we take from this passage. Seems to have ceased. We're open to the idea that, hey, maybe we're wrong because I told you before. We're gonna, I'm going to be wrong about stuff from Scripture. I'm going to be wrong about stuff from Scripture. I can't be wrong about the most important things. I'm okay with being wrong about this. And I told you last week, I'm not worried about being wrong about this right now because until our church is faithfully doing the clear things in Scripture the things that we know we're supposed to be doing, I don't think we have to worry about the unclear parts that we're still kind of, ah, just still trying to work through this type of thing. Questions that you're still left with that maybe we can address real quick today before we get into our small group discussions. Yep. I believe it was an actual language. I believe it was an actual language consistent with what the book of Acts was saying. Right. And the reason I would say is because what I have to go off of from Scripture, the, the clear passage from Scripture, the, the, the time when we really go into detail with this, people were hearing it in real languages. Um, and what Paul is alluding to here, this Old Testament passage, we looked at some of those Old Testament passages that God says, I'm going to communicate to you through tongues that you do not understand when these countries invade you. It wasn't that they were going to hear 
languages that weren't languages. They were going to hear foreign languages as the Assyrian army came in and punished them for their disobedience. And so looking at what we have in the Old Testament when, these, when this idea of tongues that you do not understand is used, um, and, then, and then seeing what happens in the book of Acts, we don't have tangible examples to say, here's a passage in Scripture where they're speaking an unknown language that nobody understands. The narrative passages that we have, it's, it's languages. Um, and, and we said last week, the, the, the meaning of language is the ability to communicate. Like there, there's a communication behind it. And so it has to be a real language or it fails the definition of what a language even is. At that point, it just becomes sounds and noises that can't communicate with anybody. And that's what Paul seems to be saying. This is what's happening. Nobody knows what you're saying. It's not that they were just lacking interpretation. It seems to be, hey, nobody, potentially even interpreters, know what you're saying. Other questions? Yeah, and it would it would be kind of the same thing as far as um, I, don't, I don't have dates in front of me as far as when the apostles died. I know the I think historically the last one to have died would have been the uh, the disciple John who was in exile in Patmos, um, which I think is dated. His death is dated around um, probably eighty ninety something. Um, I don't know when the second to last one died, um, but if he was in exile, obviously he's probably not needed in regards to that gift because he's not a part of a church. I mean, he's, he's on an island by himself kind of thing with, with some guards. So it, it's, it's probably basically the same thing. The, the apostles were dying out about AD 70 time, if, if my history is right, as far as when everybody kind of died. So... I think you could say either or kind of thing as far as when it's used. Other questions? Let me fix this real quick. We don't have any other example where a spiritual gift is given for personal edification. So if we think about the other gifts, none of them are used on ourselves. They're used for the sake of others. Um, and so going off of that pattern where we're told like these gifts are given for the edification of others, but the other passages in, in Ephesians where the body is, is given um, – the different offices are given for people in the church. We don't have any other example of a gift being used by one person for themselves. Like, hey, this was given for my own edification. Um, so it would be outside of a scriptural teaching to say 
that gifts are given for our own edification. Um, not necessarily sarcastic, he, but previously he said, if you eat meat in, from idols in front of somebody who has a problem with it, you're going to build them up to do it. And it's going to violate their conscience. And so at that point, it's the same word. And so you're encouraging them to do something. So he's used it in a negative sense before. Um, and so we don't have any other examples in Scripture either of a call to build ourselves up, to edify ourselves. So it would, be, it would be foreign to anything else that we see in the New Testament. Right, so I would say the the gift being used to encourage myself is what's the issue. And so the word encourage is being used about the gift in a negative way, in the same way. Like for an example... I mean, I think we have a responsibility to take care of ourselves. I think that we see in Philippians 2 that we're to look to the needs of others as you look to your own needs. So it's implied that there is an aspect of taking care of ourselves. But in the context of spiritual gifts, the gifts are given for the church to be used for each other. And so it would, this would be a, a break from what seems to be the norm that a gift is given just for you to use for yourself. Um, we don't have any other examples of people doing it privately. In the book of Acts, there's people present when people are speaking in tongues. Um, we also don't have an indication that somebody would have a gift of tongues and a gift of interpretation. Because at that point it would be, you know, if you, if you already know what you're going to say, just go ahead and say it as opposed to saying it and then interpreting it for us. So in order to do it privately, you'd have to have both for there to be really any edification that takes place. Because Paul says you're not edified if you don't understand it. Otherwise it's just unintelligible language that nobody gets. Angela understands you. I don't understand you. I've heard of dichotomy and trichotomy. You just went quadconomy on me. Okay. So the way that I think 
You're saying somebody that gazes at a sunset begins to speak in tongues. I'm not following, seriously. Which is, yeah. Right, and so I'm limiting it to the gifts. I don't think that... I think to, to to and we talked about this last week to really get a grasp on have they ceased have they not ceased you, you have to define what the purpose of them is and, and and we had some varying ideas based on what I would say is misinformation last week oh tongues are for the mysteries of the spirit tongues are for new revelation tongues are for a word from the spirit for today you're going to have a hard time making a case from scripture about that 
Because what we do see from Scripture is that Paul says it's, it's a sign. It's a sign for unbelievers. It's a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. So anything beyond that, should we pray on our own in, in a way that, that you know, we're praying in a different language in, in our own private worship time? It, to believe that that continues, you've got to make a case from Scripture that tongues were ever given for that purpose. And, and, and so we have to decide what is the purpose of tongues. Once, once you resolve what the purpose of tongues is, I think a lot of this other stuff starts to fall into place based on is it consistent with the purpose. Um, yep. Well, we don't know exactly when the battery ran out. I would say I would say it's very clear from the Greek to me that they will cease before Jesus comes back. That the tongues will cease, prophecy will continue until Jesus comes back, um, when the perfect comes. That tongues will cease. I mean, I believe in the inspiration of Scripture. I believe that God chose every single word that was put there for a reason. Paul did not have to differentiate between the two. He could have lumped them both together and said, they'll pass away when the perfect comes. For some reason, though, Paul says one will cease, the other will pass away. Um, And so I think there's a reason for that. I think there's a specific reason for that because I believe that he gave it to us word for word. Um, So, yes, I think it stops before Jesus comes back. The natural reason for me to think that it stopped back then is because what I'm seeing from the purpose, and again, this is tied to covenant theology, because this happens at the transitional time from old covenant to new covenant, when God's people were were conditioned to think in old covenant ways, and now there's a transition time happening, and so the apostles are used in this way to draw attention that things are changing. And I believe that the tongues were used as a, um, a tool by God to communicate that to the unbelieving Jewish people that things were changing, that the new covenant was here. And we see those people grasp that idea in Acts 2, and 3,000 of them get saved. And so based on what Paul seems to be saying here, that's why I kind of alluded to the fact, unless we've got unbelievers here, and particularly maybe even unbelieving Jews I'm not sure what the purpose of tongues would be here at Sovereign Hope based on what Paul says the purpose seems to be. So, yep. Yeah, and we talked about that one week. I think maybe you weren't here. Um, 
Yeah, and there was there was there was debate about there was debate about what her exposure had been to the topic of tongues in scripture. Um, had she been? And so, you know, did it really happen? Was she expecting it to happen because of what she read? It's hard to verify other people's experiences, so I don't want to just strictly dismiss that. Nor do I want to say. Well, boom, there's our proof, because experience is experience, and, and, it, and it's hard to, to validate experience. So here's a woman who's reading through the book of Acts, sees that people speak in tongues, wants to know Jesus, how much played into, I'm supposed to do this, so here goes, um, versus did the Holy Spirit really come upon her and give her the ability to speak in this type of language? I don't know that we can know. Well, I think we have to be careful because there are things that we would say the Holy Spirit doesn't do anymore. Like, does he give us inspired scripture anymore? No. Does he does he raise up apostles anymore? No. Like, there are some things that we do say, hey, Holy Spirit doesn't do that anymore. Um, so sometimes that argument is used by continuationists that, hey, don't be the guy that puts God in a box and says what God can and can't do unless God has told us what he will and won't do. So that can be, I understand what you're saying, and I don't want to be that guy that, that says, well, the God doesn't do this type of thing, if he does. But if he says, I don't do this anymore, then I do want to stand by him and say, he doesn't do this anymore, if he's communicated that. It would. Yeah, we don't have any indication that they continued to speak in tongues after that. The fact that she felt comforted by tongues obviously demonstrates she was exposed to reading about tongues. Otherwise, that would have been the freakiest thing ever rather than, okay, I'm in the right place. Obviously, she had to have some exposure to that, to it, for it to serve as any type of confirmation. So... Um, Again, what, what's difficult is, especially when we're talking about people talking in non-real languages, you know, 
I told you, there are people at my school that do this. And so even the fact that they do it doesn't verify that we're supposed to do it because it's, it's the most fakeable gift possible. You know, I mean, I could stand up here literally right now and start speaking in a way that you don't understand and claim that I have some type of gift from the Holy Spirit. And Tyson can stand back up there and give me some type of interpretation that is very true from the Old Testament. And us fake it if it's not supposed to happen. I mean, if, if, if we could settle on the fact this is not supposed to happen, I could still fake it and make you think that it is happening. So it's very difficult to assess, does this happen, does it not happen, based on experience of what we're hearing from others. We have to go to Scripture to make some decisions here, because if we rely strictly on experience, I don't know that we're ever going to get settled on it, because we can't verify experience. I can't verify what so-and-so told you. I wasn't there. You probably weren't there. And so it's very hard to allow that to say, hey, this is definitely supposed to happen, because so-and-so had it happen to them. If it's consistent with Scripture, then, then we can at least open the door for it. But again, what I see a lot of times happening doesn't seem to be very consistent with what the purpose is given to us in Scripture as. Yep. Potentially, yeah, I think I think and it would be consistent with what I think the purpose is that when he was coming to these because one of the first places he went to when he came into these towns was to the synagogue, which would have been full of unbelieving Jews. You'd have had some Jews that were ready to believe, but there would have been others that were resistant to believing in Jesus. And so um, how much he was using them, I don't know, but I would say that if he's using them outside of the church, that would be the context. But we're not given anything. And I think. He's downplaying, again, the importance of tongues because he's addressing a specific issue here. He's addressing a church that has elevated it to where it's viewed as even higher than intelligible language coming from a pastor on a Sunday, that this is better. So Paul's having to downplay it. Um, I, I don't think that he's necessarily saying, if I'm in any church, that I would, I would never use my gift of tongues. I think he's saying that, hey, if given the choice, I'm going to do this because it's better, and y'all need to hear this because you've gone so far the other way with it. I need to bring it back to a, a balanced perspective here. Um, so, you know, he, he doesn't expound on it, so any really any expounding I do on what he says is speculation at best, um, but I would be prone to think that he's, he's speaking in real languages to unbelieving Jews, fulfilling the prophecy of the Old Testament that he mentioned. Um, I don't think he just arbitrarily threw, threw this passage out and says, let me throw this in here in this chapter about tongues. I think, he, I think that's significant that he points us to that passage. Uh, if there's nobody there that understands it. But as in the case of Acts 2, there weren't really interpreters needed because people were hearing it and understanding it. Um, but there's nothing to say that he didn't have people with the gift of interpretation with him and his parties that were going with him. We're just not told. We're just not told. Yep, and, and that's what we want to highlight, the information that he does give us, which, you know, kind of bringing it back, and we'll kind of wrap, wrap with this, that me as an individual, I want to say this has ceased based on my study. I can't convince all of you of that. And it's okay for us to disagree about this. But what we have to agree on is that nobody's allowed to just stand up and speak in tongues one Sunday. That that would be in violation of Scripture. It's a controlled thing. And so if there ever came a time where you felt like, I've got this gift and I want to use it in our church, then you've got to come forward. And you've got to come talk to me and say, hey, I think I have this. 
And so then we're going to talk about it, and I'm probably going to send you on your own study about this to make sure that it's valid. And then we're going to have to find an interpreter. So he wants us to be informed, and there was a specific information that he gives here about how to use it in their church context. Now, I think it's outdated in the sense that it ceased, so we don't have to worry about this order anymore. But again, I'm willing to say that it's possible because I'm willing to say that I don't know everything. So if, it, if I'm wrong about this, here's how I'm going to have to be shown that I'm wrong. Somebody's going to have to come forward and say, I've got this gift. And then we're going to have to explore, hey, since, since this isn't, because I don't think it's a thing where I have to wait on the Holy Spirit to give it to me. Like, I, I think it's, I've got the gift of tongues. And so I think we could begin to, not to make light of it, but I think we could begin to usher people in and say, hey, do it, talk. Do you understand what she's saying? Nope. Okay, you don't have it. And we would have to find somebody with that gift before it could really be used in our church. Um, and we probably will never have the problem of more than three trying to do it. So we won't have to limit the amount. But again, he's informed us that everybody's gifted. Everybody has unique abilities. Everybody needs to be using their uniqueness and their abilities in this church. We need to be edifying each other, building each other up, which is why I keep drawing you back to the question, what have you done this week to edify somebody in our church? What are you doing on Sunday mornings to edify somebody in this church? Would people point to you and say, I am built up because so-and-so is a part of our church? Or does it not really matter if you're a part of our church or not? I mean, could you just go away and we'd be fine without you because you're not doing anything, because you're not seeking to use your giftedness? Scripture says we need you, but you can choose to not be needed by not participating here. You choose to not be needed by not participating here. So as we move forward with this, there's got to be some willingness for you to say, hey, that's me. I, I'm gifted in this. I want to help in this area. I want to do this. Um, you, need to, you need to demonstrate your usefulness by examining how you can be useful to this church body moving forward. And I want to use um, this handout in our C group discussion time today. So if I can get Topi and Jesse to pass these out. You guys are like our usher deacons. I always get you two individuals to pass these out. These are some areas in our church that um, me, Tyson, and Adam, and even though Tyson and Adam aren't elders yet, these are, these are areas that we said, the more we can get people to handle this stuff, the more we can do the things that we feel God has called us to do as we seek to shepherd this church. Now, you're going to see things on here that some people are already doing in our church. And I told you up front, we're kind of doing a reset. Okay, with the exception of Chris being in charge of our benevolence, uh, Melissa being in charge of our showers and meals, and Ben being in charge of our finances. Those are our three deacons in our church. We believe that we got those three right for sure, that we have asked the right gifted people to handle those areas in our church. So we're kind of setting those aside and we're saying, hey, these three stay the same. They're going to continue to handle these areas because we think we nailed it as far as their giftedness and they've demonstrated faithfulness to what we've asked them to do. Now, that's not saying that everybody else on this list, you're out because you failed us in what we asked you to do. We just want you to reiterate to us, this is me, I should be doing this. Now, what we're going to do in our C group time today we want you guys to work through these things, and we essentially want you to come up with what you would perceive to be giftedness and special qualities that are necessary for somebody to pull these tasks off. Like, what would it take for somebody to do these things well? Some of it's going to be individual giftedness. Some of it's going to be unique circumstances. So, for example... Um, the person who handles our coffee on Sunday morning. Okay, an example would be this needs to be somebody who is obviously responsible, but it also needs to be somebody who can get here at nine o'clock in the morning to do it. Some of you 
you're responsible, but you can't get here at 9 o'clock in the morning to do it. And so it kind of eliminates you from doing that. So there's, there's several different aspects. What does it take from a giftedness aspect? But then some of it may be some other just circumstantial type things that are necessary to, to pull this type of thing off. Okay, so we're going to work through these things in our C groups, and we're going to take everybody's thoughts and ideas, and Tyson and Adam and I are going to come back together, and we want to put together a gifted description for each of these, and then represent it to you and say, read through these, and when you read about yourself, like you read and you're like, that's me, then that's what we want you doing here. We want you to be able to identify where you should serve, not just because we need people doing this, but because you look at it and say, I can do that. There's some things I can't do. I can definitely do that. And so we want to be faithful. Scripture says, equip the members to do the work of the ministry. And that's what we're trying to do. Scripture doesn't tell us exactly how to equip to do this. So we're kind of making this specific to our church, and we think this works best for us to identify where we need you to serve, get your input on what it would take to pull these things off, and then have you guys sit down with us and let us know why you think you would be good in these areas. Okay? So kind of glancing over this, anybody got any questions about... Let me just walk through these real quick so everybody's clear about what we're talking about. Um, Obviously, janitor, responsible for cleaning our building. Maintenance, Somebody who's responsible for fixing our building when things break. Um, security, uh, we've got some different individuals that help us make sure that everything's locked up and things are turned off right now. Supply purchasing, we've got stuff for the nursery, stuff for the kids' classroom, Lord's Supper stuff, things that have to be purchased regularly. Uh, the city manager, we need somebody who will stay up to date on people that are visiting our church and getting them signed up on the city. People need to be on the city if they're going to ever really feel a part of our church because so much communication happens on the city. But what we really need to happen is is that when people visit once, maybe the, maybe the second time, but at least by the second time, that we're signing them up on the city. But what can't happen is we can't have somebody visit two times, sign up on the city, and then they stay a member on the city, but they never come back to our church. So somebody has to help keep track of our city membership and canceling people out that didn't come back after they were members kind of thing. And we'll show you how to do that in a way that um, basically they get a message that says your, your, um, your trial on the city has expired. If you want to renew your membership, you need to recontact your church family uh, to set that back up kind of thing. And we communicate it to them up front. Hey, this is a 30-day trial. Try it out as you're visiting our church. If you want to stick around after this, then, then we can give you more of a full membership type thing on the city. Um, but what, what I think has to happen is because we communicate so much on the city and we don't always take time to do Sunday morning announcements thoroughly, people that are visiting need to stay up to date with what we're doing, and they got to be on the city. And honestly, me, when I finish teaching, I don't have time to go track down visitors and say, hey, let me sign you up on the city. Tyson doesn't have time to do that when he's up here leading worship for us. So we need somebody that is, is always looking, hey, that person doesn't go here. I need to get them on the city kind of thing. Um, visitors, people that are willing to welcome our visitors, make sure that they feel uh, at home here, and then following up with our visitors. Uh, bookstore. We've tried this before. We've got to make a lot of adjustments, but Dan came to us a little while ago and said, hey, I really have a heart for us getting some resources, because the more we talk about you guys discipling and uh, doing accountability groups together, they're going to be topics that you just need to know more about. If you're going to effectively hold each other accountable, there's some learning that has to happen. And we want to make more and more resources available to you guys in the back, but we need somebody to oversee that, somebody that can, that can get those resources for us, use the church money to purchase those, manage that type of thing. Um, the coffee, uh, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but it is a big deal to make sure that um, somebody's here on time to set that stuff up, to get it cleaned up afterwards. It, it's real easy for our website and our documents to get out of date real quick because of the fact that we're a church plant. We're constantly changing and updating and doing things differently than maybe how we did them last year. 
it's hard for us to go back and make sure that our documents that people read on the city are always faithful to what we're currently doing. And so this is somebody who can consistently, with a good eye, read through our documents periodically and say, hey, this isn't consistent anymore. We need to change this. Right now, our website's out of date as far as the connecting points that are on there. We aren't doing those right now. We've changed them. But I haven't been on the website recently to notice that. It's somebody that can keep up to date with things like that for us. Uh, the nursery director training uh, new workers, scheduling our workers, youth discipleship teachers, kids class teachers, um, our crisis pregnancy coordinators with the showers and the gifts, the diaper drives, the baby bottle campaigns, um, with our anchor down ministry, movers and welcome basket people that are going to, even if we're not moving people in, we want to offer welcome baskets to those that are moving into our community. Uh, we've talked with Angel some about Zumba, but there's a lot of logistics that would go into that potentially um, that would need to be talked about. Our summer fun program with the, the kids on Couch Street that we do in the summertime, that's a full week of activities like a VBS type of thing. Our Serve Sonoy events, when we're doing Memorial Day, when we're doing um, the, the lighting of the Christmas tree, when we're doing the car show. Uh, right now, Jessica goes to the monthly meetings where all the planning takes place for this. We've got to have somebody at those meetings. We've got to have somebody that's coordinating these events and setting these events up and getting the volunteers for these events. Um, we also want to get somebody involved with, with uh, our prayer, prayer request type things that are being mentioned regularly. Somebody can kind of keep organized for us things that we're praying for as a church and can faithfully communicate updates on those things uh, to our people. Um, somebody who's in charge of handling our monthly events, getting those set up and organized. Somebody who's in charge of our yearly events, uh, our men's camp out trip in the spring, um, our Christmas party, those type of things that happen yearly. Uh, for our Sunday service, um, people that are responsible for the sound setup and uh, our baptism setup. When we do baptism, somebody that can be here to make sure that the um, the trough in the back is all set up, the water's warm, um, all that kind of stuff. So these are things that currently some people are doing that we want to make sure they're supposed to be doing it. Others, it's stuff that me, Tyson, or Adam are doing that we really want to pass off to others. Not necessarily because we don't want to do it, but because we want to be faithfully equipping people in our church to do this type of stuff. Because technically it's not what we probably should be doing. Um, and by passing this stuff off, it frees us up to do more of the things that we feel like God has called us to do. So these are the things we have identified immediately. We want your input on what you think it would take to do them and do them well. Any questions on this for clarification? Yep. Uh, you can discuss that. Yep, you can discuss that today too because that, I meant to say that. If there's things that aren't on here that you would say, hey, this needs to be on here, include that, and then um, allow discussion for what it would take to do that type of thing well. So don't use it as a, hey, put this on the list and I'm the person to do it. Just kind of throw it out there as, hey, this needs to be done. Here's the things that it would take to do it. And then when it becomes sign-up time, you would just put your name down for it. Any other questions on this? All right, then I'm going to pray for us. You guys will be dismissed to uh, go to your C groups. Um, again, those that are visiting are welcome to stay here with Adam and Jen's group. Um, they'll have plenty of food for you to eat. And then after, I guess, are you guys going to eat first? Do you know? Don't feel any pressure to, to have to participate in this. If you're visiting, feel free to just eat the food and observe us try to figure out confusing things about spiritual gifts. And... Um, don't feel like you have to provide input on it. So we want to invite you to stay and hang out with uh, the group here. And then everybody else, um, you'll be going to the houses where your groups meet for lunch and for small group discussion. And if you don't remember what group you're in or you're not sure if you're in a group, check with me and I'll let you know. All right, let's pray. God, we're thankful for your word. I'm thankful that uh, we have people that desire to know your word. And um, 
God, I pray that you would continue to give me the wisdom to know how to lead our church. Father, I want to do it in a, in a way that is faithful to Scripture. And God, I want to be humble enough to know that uh, there's times when I'm wrong. And, and when I'm wrong, I, I desire for you to show that to me, uh, even through the wisdom of other people. And so, God, I pray that you would continue to allow our church to be faithful to Scripture. And where we're wrong, I pray that you would clear that up for us. And uh, Father, I pray that you would allow us to be faithful to use our abilities in this church to build each other up, to advance the gospel. God, we want to edify one another and we want to multiply as a church. So Father, help us to do that through our giftedness. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church Podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.